Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, Council Vice President in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right outside Philadelphia, more importantly, right outside King of Prussia. Uh, and if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I've talked to people from every state, from Florida to Alaska, Hawaii to Maine, all points in between, from borough council like myself and school board, all the way up to U.S. Senate. Uh, and also, if you listen recently, you know that my favorite positions to talk about on this uh, podcast are either school board because of the crazy controversies there or state legislatures. And I'm excited to go back to a state I've only talked about once, one a place I've only visited, I think, once in my life many years ago, one of the greenest states uh, in America, uh, Vermont. I'm going to talk to my new friend who has a mutual friend of mine, which is interesting. I've met one of my council members, uh, Megan, uh, recently on vacation. Her name is Tiffany Bloomley, and she's a state representative of Vermont. And hopefully, if you listen today, you'll want to run for office, too. So, Tiffany, thanks for talking today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to talking for a while because it's it was a weird coincidence that one of my council member friends from Pennsylvania would bump into a state rep from uh, Vermont while on vacation. But, um, you know, so I only know so much. I, wanna, I always ask people first, have you always been politically minded? Is everyone in Vermont involved in politics? Because that's my understanding. <laughs> No, no. Uh, uh, well, so when I was young, um, I, I grew up thinking in part because of the history, social studies classes that I took that, um, you know, the way to change things was to um, be uh, go into politics. And, and as life uh, went on, I recognized uh, that there are a whole host of ways to to participate in civic life and to make changes that you want to see made. And so, you know, I, 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 I grew to believe, I mean, I was a teacher, um, I was a nonprofit leader, um, and I was really happy outside the political sphere because my perception has been for a long time that I had more freedom and freedom is my oxygen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> I didn't have, I didn't have the power to decide, but I certainly had a lot of power to influence and I could choose who I wanted to influence, et cetera, um, uh, in ways that are trickier in politics. But the way I got involved and, you know, I'm 62 now, so I was 59 when I was running and the, it was right at the start of the pandemic. Um, and all of a sudden people were talking about issues I've been talking about for 20 years. Um, like who is an essential worker mm-hmm. and what should they be paid and paid family leave and how important that was childcare, all these things, all of a sudden kind of burst into consciousness, even among those who were well to do or who had political power, but were well beyond, you know, child rearing years all of a sudden there were conversations happening that I thought I wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be on the other side of the table. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that prompted me. I mean, I, I wouldn't have run a had two people not called me to ask if I would run and had our two reps who had been long serving reps. I mean, one for almost 20 years decided to, retire. Um, 
they served us well. I didn't see any reason to, you know, to run against them. So it was a confluence of kind of of that situation and with the overlay of new conversations where I thought I could be helpful and where, and, and that had kind of, uh, built on advocacy and work I've been doing for a very long time. Um, so it was, it, it was, and it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying in ways I never imagined it would be running, running for office. I'm an extrovert, you know, I like people and I, but I had to sell myself. I, I wasn't, I mean, I could talk about issues, but but all five of us that were running in the primary were talking about issues. Uh-huh. I needed to somehow help people understand why I could be a good rep, and I just wasn't used to talking about myself. Uh-huh. And it was it was excruciatingly difficult for me. <laughs> and now that I have a record, when I run, I can run on a record, uh-huh. and. Um, and it's not really about me as much as it is about uh, what we have been able to do. Um, because I don't, I you know, I'm I'm old enough that I'm not really thinking about uh, this. Isn't a stepping stone for me. Like this is uh, this is where I want to be for a while to see if I can make a difference. And that it was um, which frees me really, you know, to be. Um, bold where I would want to be bold and to um, not worry about the impact it's going to have on, you know, my run for lieutenant governor or whatever, because I will not run for lieutenant governor. You say that now. I'm reading say- <laughs> I'm reading this book about Nancy Pelosi, and she, she was told she wasn't going to run, and then they encouraged her, and eventually she ran for more, so, you know, you never know. You never know. You never know, but, you know, at a... At a certain point, I mean, I guess I feel that there are really good people um, involved in state politics here in Vermont, and I, I don't believe my greatest happiness and satisfaction has come from working with a team of people towards something. And mm-hmm. I, I don't have all the ideas, and I don't ever want to have to pretend that I do. And the higher you go in politics, the more you have to kind of, I think, convince people that you have the ideas. And I'm mostly interested in figuring out with other people what is actually happening out there and what we together can do about it. And that's uh, politics... I think at its best can be a team sport. I think it can often be, uh, you know, statewide uh, or congressional politics can also be a very um, solitary um, endeavor. And that's, that's not my aim. So at any rate, I I think I'm staying in the, in uh, the house of representatives, which is kind of a, uh, you know, we've got 150 different people um, with lots of, different opinions and styles and uh, uh, dispositions. And it were a pretty wily bunch. And I don't even want to go to the Senate because it's only 30 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel that what, what we do in the House is we really wrestle and fight about things. Uh, and that's healthy. 
the more hands on a bill, the better, I think. Um, and so at any rate, I am, I'm, uh, I have found, so I was a really happy advocate for many, many years. I was also a teacher. Um, and as I said, nonprofit leader where we ran programs for women and girls focus really on economic independence. And, <clears throat> And that was really, really meaningful work to me. Um, I miss, I miss the contact with, uh, like the program participants that I always had, you know. Uh, and so I have to work hard to stay close to that. And that's where volunteer work with different social service agencies, et cetera, um, grounds me um, in so that I, I am, I'm not making stuff up. <laughs> which, For- a lot, and for a lot of other legislators across the country, I, I basically just talk to Democrats because if I talk to Republicans in legislatures, I'll be like, why did you want to overturn democracy? So that's that would, that would consume my whole time. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, when I talk to people from Missouri, Oklahoma, you know, some red states or purple states, uh, you know, when they talk about wrestling, it's really like, you know, we're fighting to get a little bit of progress or um, we have to fight against some really crazy things. So their motivation is different. When you're in Vermont, where from an outsider perspective, you see, um, you know, it's not a competitive state for presidential elections. You got Bernie Sanders has been there forever. The politics of Vermont, does it create like a complacency maybe amongst some voters? I know they're very engaged, but like, well, we have enough good people. Like someone else will do it. We we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't need to get involved. Oh, well, get involved how? You mean... Like, run for uh, office themselves. Uh, like, you know, well, why, okay. why would I run? So, Someone else will do it because there, there's enough good people there. Uh, uh, yes and no. I think there are a whole lot of people who would like to run for office. Good. But they can't afford to because you're paid um, for four and a half months worth of work mm-hmm. um, at, you know, basically $19 an hour. Um, and... Uh, who can take off four and a half months mm-hmm. <laughs> of the year in a regular job that might have health insurance? We don't have health insurance benefits, you know. It and it really compromises the diversity yeah. within our within our body, and that's that is something that we're trying to address through mm-hmm. legislation to um, increase pay. It, mm-hmm. And that's you know, it's not very popular, but I think people kind of get it because they, I think, are understanding how hard their reps have to work, mm-hmm. um, even in the off session. Yeah. We, you know, I've talked about that a lot with people from, you know, New Mexico where they basically don't get paid at all. Um, yes. and, uh, others like Montana, my friend state rep, Jessica Carjala, cause Montana is massive. And so if you can't afford to go to the state capital, like and travel all the way there, well, you're not going to run. What, what do you think are some ways that we can kind of close that gap or make it easier? Cause Maybe the solution isn't making it a full-time job in every state, but um, here in Pennsylvania, they get paid very well, and I'm happy about it, whether they're Democrat or Republican, professionalized, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but are, what, are, what are some solutions that could help to get more people to be able to run for office and be in office? Well, <clears throat> I do think that we need to raise the rate of pay. Mm-hmm. I think access to health benefits would be would make the difference for many, many people. I think that if we could get a stipend 
for the off session that would actually recognize the amount of work that we have to do to keep up with constituents um, and prepare for the coming session, then I think, uh, I think that would go a long way. I also think that putting responsibility for determining legislative pay and benefits in the hands of legislators is it pretty much guarantees that uh, any improvement is going to be very slow going um, because, and, and I think having a kind of an independent body that does that from time to time and reviews legislative pay and benefits compensation period, it, you know, at uh, it, it makes it, then it just depoliticizes mm-hmm. it and it, you know, it enables us to get that piece of work done, but, you know, takes it out of um, the political de- debate where, you know, we are sitting ducks, you know, for, and, 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 you know, Vermont is not the kind of uniformly democratic stronghold. Um, I mean, there are, there are large regions of Vermont that are quite conservative mm-hmm. um, and they tend to be the more rural parts, the parts, you know, the state where um, there aren't, nearly as many services, um, and, um, and a higher rate of poverty. So, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't think we can take anybody for granted, um, that we have a Republican governor and right. he is served for, you know, what is it, five years, six years, and he is quite popular, um, no matter what he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, I can't quite figure it out. Except that I think Vermonters like to balance their legislatures um, with a Republican in, in an executive position. So we, we tend to go bounce back and forth between, you know, Republican, Democrat uh, uh, in, in the um, uh, executive office. And anyway, You're, so... Phil Scott, I mean, I'm not I, I, an expert on Vermont politics at all, but... He is certainly not the same as, like, the governor of Oklahoma or Ron DeSantis. Nope. So, you know, it, it seems like, from my perspective, you look at New England governors like uh, Governor Baker from Massachusetts, um, and, you know, while I may not agree with all their politics, like, there seemed to be an avenue, like an openness from the American public in general to have, like, a business-minded Republican, and they only exist in, like, three states, is that yeah. like a fair assessment? From, you're like, that could work in Vermont, Massachusetts, maybe New Hampshire, yeah. and then beyond that, there's nowhere else where you can get that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think you're right. And, I, and you know, Phil Scott, right, I mean, supports the right to choose, um, has um, supported a number of things that are anathema to um, more conservative governors across the country. That said... Um, he, there are ways in which, like most Republican governors, he has eroded the power of, um, he has eroded critical agencies and Mm -hmm. we're going to be paying for that for a long time by starving them of resources. And, and he, and he has exercised the power, the veto power, um, more than any other governor, um, in our history. So, uh, you know, there we're constantly having to muster up a supermajority of, of votes um, to 
if we want to get certain pieces of legislation passed. That's a great position to be in when you are that kind of governor, where people will consider you moderate because the comparisons mm -hmm. are different. Um, the legislature possibly can override you anyway, so you can get the win-win of being like, yeah. I don't, I can take credit or blame whatever I want, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, it... I, but we, uh, interestingly, the governor is elected every two years. Mm -hmm. We are elected every two years, senators and reps. And I think what that does is it really compromises long-term vision mm -hmm. and, and deal making in the best sense of the word, you know, right. coming up with, with plans. Um, I don't, we don't have a strategic plan for the state. It's how priorities are set are largely determined by the governor. I mean, we, the, the legislature can weigh in, but the governor has 12 months and we have four and a half. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it is, so it's there, there, has anybody who has appeared on your podcast ever said, Oh, you know, no, I'm never frustrated by this process. This is great. I love every minute of being... Only the people that work with me. So that... <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, the, politics is frustrating, and it's frustrating in different ways um, across... But I imagine that even with that bipartisanship you have to do with a Republican governor, you've been able to accomplish some significant things. Again, from the yeah. outside looking in. Because people's yeah. views of Vermont are different than your view if you live there, just like any other state. Um, you're you're going to look at it and be like, oh, well, that's a Democratic paradise. Sure, they got a Republican governor, but look who they vote for and other things. They probably mm -hmm. have all of the things we wish we had in our state. Mm. I don't think that's true of any state. So mm -hmm. what, have, what have you been able to accomplish or that maybe people outside of Vermont would be surprised that you've had to advocate for? Uh, well, <clears throat> you know, guns, um, mm -hmm. are pretty popular in the state and, you know, reforming, uh, gun access laws has been very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and getting a, um, a suicide prevention bill that instigated a, a waiting period um, uh, for young people and um, and a, a requirement that um, a legal requirement that you um, have you have guns in your home that are locked um, mm -hmm. safely that you know that that was a huge fight and we have been only able to win those fights you know uh, it's been very incremental. Mm -hmm. and, and difficult. Um, I think the challenge of being a state that has, you know, one big city, mm -hmm. Burlington, where that I represent, um, and a lot of small towns and rural areas creates an interesting dynamic there too, you know. Um, and so there's there is an essential tension between what is kind of the economic engine of the state uh, and, uh, and not the sole economic engine, but, but Burlington and Chittenden County produce a lot of the jobs that are mm -hmm. in the state um, and a lot of the wealth that goes to the state. 
And there's an essential tension then between Burlington and other parts of the state. So, you know, I, my job as a rep is in some ways to walk that fine line between supporting the needs of rural areas and also representing um, the needs of, of my city, which are many. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have the second highest rate of homelessness in the country, you know, per, per capita. And that's, uh, it is, it is in part, we're like everybody, we've underinvested in housing for mm-hmm. many, many years. Um, we have a very high opioid addiction rate, mm-hmm. um, and we are not in the forefront in terms of, um, you know, safe, um, safe use, um, sites. We, we are, 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 the parts of my budget, I'm on the appropriations committee and the parts of my budget are mental health, substance use, um, housing and the legislative budget. And, you know, three of those are, you know, right in our face right now. And yeah. all of them are intertwined. Um, and I think that Vermont has suffered in, at times from an exceptionalism. Yeah. In a, a sense that, well, we do things better than others. And, um, and we haven't necessarily reflected as we needed to on our practice, nor have we um, looked to where people are doing things differently and and what we have to learn from them and so yeah sorry no no you don't be sorry no the um it's interesting you're talking about housing because it's an issue in every single state uh it's an issue in my town right now where mm-hmm. i'm really happy we're building new housing but i know i don't know if i could afford to move into these houses like it's just not like i'm yeah. but you can't lower the housing cost you can't make it affordable unless you just build more housing that's like mm-hmm. you need the supply to match the demand and that will long term have the impact of stabilizing prices but that's not a solution people want to hear um mm-hmm. and and i know that there is a there's a pushback from a lot of people on uh, housing whether they, they don't like the term affordable housing you know we're talking about things like workforce housing etc um and the pushback is not like from right wingers only it's not like from one pocket mm-hmm. A lot of liberal people are like, oh, we, someplace else should have affordable housing. Environmentalists. Right. How do you address that in a fair way? Like, what are there ways that you see, like, some success that maybe other states can emulate or other towns can emulate? Obviously, you haven't solved well, it. But I like, mean, I think that what Vermont piloted a long time ago and has um, offered as an example um, – to many other states and internationally is permanently affordable housing. Um, it's a model and that, that is, uh, it's, it's not, it's subsidized at the beginning to a great degree. And then you buy a house. I I won't get into all of the, the specifics, but it is an internationally recognized model that was piloted here and has been very successful. It isn't the only thing we need to do. And there are, you know, uh, we need to change land use and zoning um, mm. laws. And here, that is kind of sacrosanct to mm-hmm. um, a number of people um, uh, who are um, in the environmental field or in the legislature. Uh, there are folks who um, 
I mean, we, we need to invest in middle-income housing. We need to also invest in rental subsidies. Uh, and we're trying to play catch-up uh, at a time when we're in crisis. So it looks like we're not... Uh, right now, I don't think anybody in Vermont would, would say, oh, yeah, we're doing, we're, we're doing things right here. I think we need to have more uh, collaboration across social service, health care, and um, public agencies um, and the housing developers so that because because who is homeless well an awful lot of them are folks who are who have mental health challenges or substance use disorder and 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 we don't have a way we don't have any kind of kind of uh, immediate place for these folks to go except our emergency rooms and that's not a solution mm -hmm. and it's putting enormous stress on hospitals so so we need to invest in that which will then put less pressure on some of the other kinds of um emergency housing that we have mm -hmm. and we need to continue the investments and be open to a wide range of investments i think we need to incentivize building um because I don't think people can make enough money building houses for that are affordable to people. I think that's why we, you know, we've got we're building houses that are five hundred thousand dollars or more, um, and n not in that two hundred and fifty or two hundred range. Where, you know, I mean, it's it, it makes me incredibly uh, sad to think that a firefighter, a teacher. Um, <clears throat> Uh, a, a social worker cannot find a house in Burlington to live in. And in order to work here, though, they have to live somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't, that's not right. And I, I think that there's a new consciousness on both sides of the aisle um, that we need to, we really need to invest in a long-term housing plan. But it's going to require that everybody gives something up and that is going to be our challenge, I think, this year. Yeah, I think it's the same here in our county. In our county, is, mm -hmm. in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, is basically the size of Vermont. Like in, uh -huh. We have, I don't know, <laughs> 800,000 people, you know, yeah. in, in the county. And it's a, we, we don't have a city that's huge. We're outside of Philadelphia. But that's mm -hmm. the thing. People don't want to be the one. Like, why should we be the ones dealing with affordable housing? And everyone's got to chip in in some respect. And that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> But the way you describe it, every time you mention something, whether it's housing, um, whether it's opioids, mental health, it seems to come down to stigma, right? Like so yes. many of these things, how we view people um, who like we want to stay away from. Is there a role for government, um, especially progressive government, that we can effectively help to reduce those stigmas and like humanize <clears throat> people? We shouldn't have to humanize. We should just be treating them respectfully from the start. Yeah, I just I just had a conversation with uh, the woman who kind of heads the efforts from the in the city of Burlington as they relate to um, uh, finding housing for folks who are unhoused. And you know, her her very last line um, to me was her last statement was, you know, we we need to stop seeing these people as problems and we stop need to stop just focusing on the policy we need to focus on connection mm -hmm. and that because 
the whole the process of getting into the system, you know, registered through the continuum of care so that you have access to subsidized housing, all of that is really dehumanizing in many ways. And it is also uh, because eligibility changes and that's a state thing, you know, mm-hmm. we've determined, uh, we've, we've changed eligibility for emergency housing that, <clears throat> that creates a kind of, um, uh, it's a, it's a trauma really, yeah. you know, every day you are wondering where you're going to be living. And, uh, and I, and these are people who even have housing at the moment, but, you know, they're looking 28 days down the road and wondering where they're going to be. And many of this vast majority of folks who are in emergency housing in Vermont have disabilities. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, I think we have failed folks with disabilities in a number of ways, as most states probably have. Yeah. Um, and. And so, so there has to be a very multifaceted approach, and it really is going to require close collaboration. And even in a state as small as Vermont, that is difficult because people still work in silos. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I don't think that that's what people want to do, but, you know, why the entire agency of human services has not been involved in the emergency housing issue, but one one department within it mm-hmm. has has been trying to deal with this makes no sense to me because the folks that are unhoused usually have needs that could be met by you know um, the Department of Aging, the disability, the you know um, Department of Corrections, and we. But everybody's just operating in their own sandbox, and we've got to break that down mm-hmm. in a. And, and that, that takes real leadership, um, and the governor kind of controls that, um, you know, makes the appointments to all those departments and agencies, and we don't have any real control, nor do we have much oversight over, um, you know, what happens. We, it, you know, it's, we pass a budget, we pass legislation, and then hope it all goes okay, you know, that if things are enacted in the way, in the in the spirit in which we intended um, and along the lines that we intend. But, you know, it's very difficult to keep up with the inner workings of a bureaucracy, um, even in a tiny state like Vermont. (laughs) I I see that so many times, uh, especially when dealing with Mm. state issues, state or federal issues, because there are the bureaucracies. And like you said, there's, um, someone who's focused on housing, they may be a wonderful person, but they don't do anything when it comes to opioids. Um, or there's someone with opioids and they deal with op- like helping with addiction, but they don't talk about housing or they don't talk <laughs> about disability. And, and um, right. so connecting between those things, but also the human connections that maybe we've been missing out on from um, how social media divides us, the pandemic, keeping mm-hmm. people isolated, um, which, you know, whether it was because of rules or because people self isolated on purpose right like yep and a lack of as i've read in different places a third place like you watch tv shows like cheers or even seinfeld we're all gathered at the bar or the restaurant and now people don't physically connect uh-huh. do you right. think that there's some you know some uh reason here to kind of build those connections there's some role in government there to kind of like 
look, we've got these, we got A and B and C and D. Maybe we can, we can do something to connect I think that's things. True. You know, I think that's true, but I also think that um, there's so many disincentives to that or barriers to right. that, even if it's if it is a, an actual goal, because, you know, you think about federal funding streams, you know, they're very siloed, they're very particular, and <clears throat> they don't, they don't, there aren't enough waivers to really enable departments to integrate services. Um, uh, I... I I mean, I, I don't think the feds make it particularly easy for those departments to work together. And oh, that's that I'm going to leave to our um, great congressional delegation <laughs> to figure out to help. And I think that Medicaid is um, getting better. You know, they are actually going to fund services related to housing mm -hmm. um in in a ways they never have that's huge it's huge and it's long overdue and uh but the benefit is it will require conversations across departments and with the public and nonprofit sectors um and conceivably private sectors uh in ways that you know they haven't connected before so that's that's all good but it is, you know, it, we are, I, I think that it confounds me. I mean, the great thing about Vermont is it is small. You can call the governor if you want to. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, <clears throat> you have access to people in a way that I never did when I lived in New York um, or, or right. California. But it is also, uh, it, you know, human beings are human beings and patterns are patterns. And, you know, that it... The kind of uh, siloing that exists everywhere else exists here, and we have to work hard to try to address it. And maybe your lesson from Vermont, where you have a more progressive, like kind of legislature, the kind of thing, the kind of connections you have, mm. is a lesson to other people of don't just look at an individual bill if you're in Pennsylvania or if you're in Michigan or any other state, <laughs> but to like try to craft connect craft legislation on your level and other states that can kind of work on those connections, like understand like, Hey, this is what we're yep. doing here. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can try and address it in another bigger state and we can build on that success. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there is value. Sometimes it's a waste of time, but I think oftentimes it, it is, um, it can produce new understanding and direction, um, in areas that have kind of foundered, um, and, uh, when you bring, when you compel people to get together to work on a problem, you know, and, and you can do that through legislation. And if it is taken seriously by those who are chairing it, um, and if the right people are at that table, it can be very, um, it, it can be helpful. Well, it also can be helpful to, to get to that table, you have to run for office, uh, right? Yes. Generally. Sometimes you're appointed. Sometimes it's easier than not. But from your experience now, uh, the good, the frustrating, and all in between, why would you encourage other people to consider running for office, especially state legislatures? Because mm -hmm. next year, most state legislatures are up for office uh, across yep. the country. So if someone's listening now, months in advance, why would you tell them to take that kind of idea seriously? Well, I would I would really encourage people not to wait to be asked. Mm -hmm. 
as I did. Um, <clears throat> this is very, it's very typical of women um, who often have to be asked, you know, four or five times before they consider it. Uh, I think that, you know, go talk to folks in the legislature and find out what they like, what they don't like. I mean, people would, when I worked at a nonprofit, people would say to me, I think I want to be an executive director of a nonprofit. And I'd say, come and shadow me. Let's spend a day with me and see what it feels like. And we'll have lunch together. And anyway, I mean, nine times out of 10, they would say, oh, I don't think I really want your job. I think <laughs> I might want to be the program director or, and because what it does is it kind of, <clears throat> it demystified, like, you know, uh, they didn't want to have the board conversations, you right. know, or they didn't want to deal with the fundraising or the, you know, and they saw the multiplicity of things that, uh, you know, I juggled and that I either liked relish or didn't like so much, but it wasn't the whole job. Um, and determine, oh, that's not really what I want. And I think that that's, that can be helpful for people, you know, in deciding to run for office. If you think maybe you want to run for office. And I think <clears throat> I've seen individuals make a big difference in our legislature. I have seen, I'm not going to say I, I have. Um, these are people who, who somebody got through a gun bill um, who lost her son to suicide mm. and she ran not just because of that, but this was one of her main issues. And the, the, the way she framed the bill, the way she presented the issue, um, I think changed a lot of minds and I think will help pave the way for gun legislation to be, you know, for us to pass more legislation um, uh, related to access to guns um, in the future. And, I mean, if she quit tomorrow, I would say that she's had a very distinguished legislative career. She's only been there as long as I have, three mm -hmm. years. And I, <clears throat> so I think you need to know, like, okay, this is what I want to work on, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but we all come to it for different reasons and we all find our different places. And my, my special sauce, and I'm not trying to brag when I say this, but I'm really good at, at help at bringing people together to talk about stuff and under, you know, to better understand a problem and figure our way forward. It's what I always did um, in the community prior to running. I actually think that that is very hard to do in the legislature because you're part of a caucus. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> your job really isn't to bring people together during the session. It is outside the session. It took me a while to learn that. Mm -hmm. And so my work, I do a lot of work outside the session to try to get people um, to talk to one another about things um, about an, a particular issue um, or set of issues that are uh, really challenging and that I'm curious about. And that, oh, at any rate, that's, uh, I think that there are multiple roles that people can play. Some get into the kind of the politics and they become political leaders, you know, in the caucus. Some people really get into the issues and they become chairs of committees or vice chairs. Um, there's a place for a lot of different kinds of people. I think you just need to know 
why you're going. Um, and, and you just said throughout this conversation that being able to build connections is something we need in government from bureaucracy. And if that's, yeah. if that's what you do, if that, if it's not like you champion, you're the sponsor of the top bills, but you build those connections, that's mm. a pretty good thing. Um, and if people want to build a connection with you, if they want to reach out like I did and learn more about your career, um, learn more about what politics is like, maybe ask if they should run wherever they are. Sure. What's the best way that they can connect with you online and, uh, and learn more? Uh, they can email me at um, uh, T-B-L-U-E-M-L-E at L-E-G, ledge, dot state, dot V-T, dot U-S. Well, and, I, you know, every legislature has its own, you know, uh, web page where you can you can look me up. Um, and if you write, if you if, if you just search for TIFF, um, TIFF Blue, you probably find me. So, <clears throat> Well, here in my community, a TIF is a certain kind of tax investment strategy. Yes. So, so. Or it's an argument, right? <laughs> right. Well, we had a TIF about the TIF, and I think yeah. we resolved that TIF. So, um, oh, good. But it's been great talking with this TIF, Tiffany Bloomley. I really appreciate it, and I wish you the best of luck in Vermont. And I hope you agree. Someone's listening. Maybe they should run for office, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate everyone who's uh, paying attention to their local government. Government is.